special because if you can see, yeah. the numbers all go to 11. Look, right across the board. Oh. 11, oh, 11, and most 11, of the amps go up to 10. Exactly. Does that mean it's louder? Is it any louder? Well, it's one louder, isn't it? It's not 10. See, most most blokes you know be playing at 10. You're on 10 here, all the way up, all the way up, yeah. all the way up. You're on 10 on your guitar. Where can you go from there? Where? I don't know. Nowhere, exactly. What we do is if we need that extra push over the cliff, you know what we do? Uh, put it up to 11. 11, exactly. One louder. Why don't you just make 10 louder and make 10 be the top number and make that a little louder? These go to 11. Yes, episode 11. Every Canucks fan's favorite number. Am I right, Doug? Absolutely. You know, it's funny it is there's only three Canuck players to ever wear the number 11. It's actually below number 43, which we all know who number 43 is. It is the least used number in Canucks history. Wayne Mackey, Chris Odleifson, and who would be the third one, Doug? Mark Messier. Uh, <laughs> everyone's favorite. So that got me thinking. A fun way to start the episode tonight is I'm going to give you some kind of Weird numbers that the Canucks have worn over the year, and you're going to see if you can guess them. How does that sound? Sounds good to me. We'll start with a nice easy one, uh, number 53. Bo Horvat. All right. So just to clarify, these are only one player has ever worn these numbers? Only one, but I'll give you a couple of, a couple of other exceptions here and there, uh, just, in, just in case. Um, how about number 72? 72. That's a tough one. I should have. Recent? Uh, 2000, 2001. Moose Peter Schaefer? Yeah. Nice. Um, 81. 81. His, uh, his last name was... Sergei also... Shirokov? No, but you're... you're... Fedor Fedorov. Yeah, yeah, good. Wow, you're, you're nailing this. Um, let's go with number 91. 91. Currently in the NHL, but not for the Canucks. Former first rounder. Redeem Verbata? No, Jared McCann. Jared McCann, of course. Uh, here's a fun one. Number 66. Oh, whoa. One season this guy wore it. Jim Sandlack. No, but uh, he's a fan favorite and he's not remembered for wearing number 66. Sergio Momesso? No, but you're getting closer. Same era, though, right? Yeah. Big buddy of Pavel Bure. Gino! <laughs> he had it in there. Ojik. Yes. There's a few other kind of fun ones in here. Uh, number 58, there's two number 58s. Brett Hedekin? No, he wore three. Yeah. Um, One of my favorite Canucks from the early 90s uh, wore number 58, which is why I wanted to bring it up. That's Robert Cron. Oh, and, I like uh, Robert Cron. Fedun. And lastly, 89, we had two 89s. Two 89s. Alexander McGillney, of course. Yeah. Uh, the second one... Very recently. Very recently. Got a lot of spoons for him. Ryan Spooner. Close, but uh, Sam Gagne, who we traded for him. Uh, anyways, that's some fun with some weird player numbers that we've got here. Um, let's let's uh, move along. That, that, we, that was all inspired by Mark Messier. Thanks, Moose. We, we appreciate that. Greatest leader ever. Not. <laughs> Why do we hate Mark Messier so much? I mean, to be fair... It was a huge signing. I remember when we signed him, I was blown away. You had Burray, you had McGillney. Burray ended up being hurt for the majority of that year. McGillney put up great numbers uh, the previous year. So at that time, Messier seemed like he was the final piece to the puzzle to get this team back into Stanley Cup contention and to potentially push us over the edge to win a cup. And he didn't really seem to do anything. He pushed Trevor Linden out behind the back door with Mike Keenan Grabbed the C off Linden. Linden got traded to the New York Islanders, which was a great trade, by the way, Canucks fans. Yeah, Todd Bertuzzi and Brian McCabe coming the other way. And McCabe ended up being part of the package That's to true. land one, the Sedins. Yeah, in a trade with Chicago, if I remember that. Yep. Um, and yeah, those three years, I think he was only here for three years. We paid him a boatload of money, and he didn't really produce. I think the Canucks only made the playoffs one of those three years. I think it was just a lot of disappointment. Everyone thought, hey, we've never made a signing like this, and... Uh, it's, it's just, I think that's really what it was. It was a disappointing era that eventually led into the West Coast Express, but you coupled Mark Messier with Mike Keenan. I think that was a, just overall a pretty frustrating time. But those are all darker times. I will say this, and again, I know there's a lot of people who are probably going to sigh, 
But I will say this. Marcus Naslin did end up developing into the superstar player he became under Marc Messier, essentially. Like, I'm not saying Messier pulled him aside and was, you know, had the whiteboard out showing him X's and O's or anything like that. But I do give Messier some credit. He was the captain during the first couple of years Naslin got to the team, and Naslin started to get it. He started to figure things out on the ice. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely some intangibles we can maybe pull away from that. But let's move on from the Moose because I think this current version of the Canucks has a lot of exciting things happening. We've seen it on the ice this past week, and we also saw it on the ice today over in Sweden. What did, oh. you, what did you think of that? Boy, did we ever see it. Yeah, Hoglander, if you guys haven't seen it yet, I'm sure you have. Goal of the year across all nations, hockey-wide. I, I guarantee this will probably be at least in the top 10 goal of the years at the end of the year. Uh, absolutely beautiful lacrosse goal. The second time he's done this in his career. This one was probably even nicer than last year's because he banked it off the back of the net to himself, dropped the defender's jock strap on the ice, and then roofed it top cheese. Yeah, it was uh, it was amazing. That little bank and uh, off the back of the net just totally wigged out the defender. And then the way he just tucks it in like that. Like, I've always marveled at those goals. I, and I know I said this to you earlier. I'm still not sure how they're legal, but they are. I guess it's below the crossbar. But, man, that was just, just sick. He had it on the bottom of his stick when he flicked it into the net like that. Uh, man, uh, and, and you know, I, I've been a big Hoglander fan. We were at the draft last year, and I said going into day two that Hoglander was the guy I wanted. And, man, so seeing him pull off moves like this just gets me even more excited about the potential that he can have on a top line with with Pedersen. I agree. I think he'll be a guy that will definitely be pushing for a spot next year. He's He seems like he's just one of those supreme athletes. You know, he... He rides the unicycle and juggles just like Petey does. Petey tried the lacrosse goal last night, I believe, didn't score one. And then Hoglander today one-upped him and actually put one in the back of the net. Uh, but no, all jokes aside, I definitely think this guy is going to push for a roster spot next year. Uh, and even if he doesn't make the team and he ends up down in Utica, that's not a bad thing either. But for those bottom six guys and even those kind of rotating guys in the top six right now, you know, with Levo... Pearson, Furland, look out, man. Hoglander's coming. Yeah, I, I agree. This is a really nice second-round pick by the Canucks staff, and they've done a, a good job with that uh, over the last couple of years. Cole Lind is turning out to be a pretty good player down in Utica. Just a quick update on the Cole Lind watch because uh, we're all pretty happy with the way he's progressing. Eight points in seven games right now for the Comets and still playing really well from all the clips I've seen as well. So, again, Hoglander, Lind, both, I think, could be pushing for the team next year. So some of these vets do have to, to watch their backs. Yeah, definitely. Uh, what do we got on the docket for today's show, Pete? Uh, we've got first all here. We, we did this yesterday, so we were recording over two days. So we uh, have a really good interview with uh, Ray Hat, And a lot of you on Twitter probably have seen Ray pop up. He's, uh, he's puts out a lot of content, has a lot of opinions, uh, and is a really intelligent guy to talk to about the Canucks. He's really knowledgeable knows his stuff and we had a we had a great conversation with him yesterday eh? absolutely very well spoken very intelligent has all his ducks in a row knows what he's talking about and yeah absolute pleasure to to interview yeah we had to cut it short because we probably could we ended up talking after we turned off the mic still for another 15 minutes or so and doug and i had to get back at work we were recording on our lunch break but we could have just kept going so uh ray hopefully get you back on the show another time to to keep talking Canucks. So that's coming up first here because we recorded that before the Florida game. And then I guess uh, after that, Doug and I are going to dive more into the Florida game and kind of recaps uh, from the Detroit and Washington games earlier in the week as well. Episode 11, full steam ahead. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, let's get into the interview with Ray here. Joining us now, we have Ray Hat, also known on Twitter as at Raymond underscore hat. That's with two T's on there. Ray, how you doing? I'm doing well, man. Uh, really pumped for uh, the Canucks game tonight against Florida. A little bit of a redemption match from last season with the Mike Matheson, you know, issues. And uh, I look forward to seeing how the team comes out. I'm hoping that it doesn't, you know, get too crazy out there and, you know, people have respect. But, you know, I, I think we should see some Matheson hits. You know, it'll get the crowd into the game and, you know, get us fired up on Canucks Twitter, that's for sure. Do you think with the uh, changing amount of the roster since that 
fateful meetup back whenever it was last season, do you think that there's still going to be that sort of animosity or pushback, or do you think that time has kind of healed that a little bit? Uh, I think time heals all wounds, as they say, but I also uh, I don't think people forget. I don't think Elias Pedersen has forgotten anything, but I also don't expect Green to you know, send out the goon squad and you know have a line draw to start like towards back in the day. Yeah, definitely. I think uh, it's tough. It's tough to tell. The Canucks aren't a goonish team, but they definitely have yeah. a, a bit more pushback. Um, with yourself, oh, sure. how do you? Uh, how did you come about being a Canucks fan? And just tell us a little bit briefly about your history with the Canucks. Um, I was, you know, roughly about seven or eight at the time, and uh, I don't know. It was around the West Coast Express days, and um, I remember I just kind of fell in love with uh, fell in love with hockey as soon as I seen it, and I remember in grade two, I could name the whole entire Canucks roster, and that, you know, it's kind of history after that. Um, I've fallen just deeply in love with the team, and uh, I, I don't know uh, if I could cheer for another, you know, team. And um, I think Bertuzzi at the time, he was just such a fun player to watch. You know, he's a big, powerful guy that, uh, you know, hit everything that moved. I think one of my favorite things was a signature, you know, one hand on the stick and constantly just watching him throw around. Uh, throw around guys and then scoring a goal and then you had Marcus Nazan and you know it was just such a good young team to watch you know and then the Sedins were coming up at the time it was a good era to really start getting into hockey and I notice your uh, your Twitter pick right now is a picture of uh, Big Bert what did you think yeah. about bringing him out there on the home opener uh, it was huge I think that was a sign of respect um, you know obviously for Bertuzzi he was a part of a great you know era Obviously, Naslin, I'm sure, couldn't make it, as he said, in, uh, you know, in one of his, uh, art, uh, in an article there. Um, and I don't know if Morrison's quite has that, um, you know, star-studdedness. And, uh, you know, Canucks, you know, they it's the biggest, you know, anniversary. And I think Bertuzzi was a massive, massive part of that. You know, Steve Morrison and, and, and everything involved in that. You know, I think it's a good sign of respect for the team. And he's gone on Sportsnet you know, and talked about how much he enjoys watching this team and how excited he is, you know, as a fan of it. And uh, it was nice to just kind of see him smile. I'm, you know, I'm sure he had a few tears in there because, you know, um, it's it, there's a lot of history with, with Bertuzzi and the organization. And it was just really cool to see him. I mean, obviously, he got the biggest pop from the crowd. You know, I don't think a lot of people expected it. And, uh, yeah, I have that picture. I mean, he looks so happy and so, you know, he just looks happy, and it's good for me to see that, you know, for what he's been through and uh, throughout his career and his life, that, you know, he's able to put a smile on, and it really hasn't, you know, torn him down like it, you know, you might think with an uh, incident like that. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that uh, a lot of the fans were surprised, very happily surprised, that Bertuzzi yeah. was the guy that came out to represent that era. And I also have to call you guys out on a great transition because here we are talking about a potential Mike Matheson revenge game and then we transition yeah. right into Todd Bertuzzi <laughs> and the Steve Moore well, exactly. incident. So that's definitely well, worth that, taking a note. And, and 100%, and that's kind of why I brought up the, the whole, you know, Mike Matheson thing. I did, like, you know, there was the Steve Moore incident, you know, things happen on the ice, but you never want to see a player like that, you know, or any player for that magnitude get hurt. You know, I think it was a... Uh, was a terrible thing that happened. I think if Bertuzzi could take it back, he would. And you know, mistakes happen, and that's why I say, you know, I don't. I hope the team doesn't go out there and you know cost themselves two points because at the end of the day, it's Travis Green. You know, he wants the two points. It's not about getting some you know self-inflicted revenge. Uh, it's about the two points and the win here. You know. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think last year, obviously, there was a. Um, I, I think all of us Canuck fans. I think we all agree. The only thing we really want is to show a little bit of pushback. We're not saying you have yeah. to go and seek retribution. Give the guy a face wash, you know, get in his face. Yeah. Let him know that, hey, we're not going to take this. Well, and it's that, and it's getting in the other player's superstar's face as well. I think I think that's the biggest thing is, you know, standing up, not only to Mike Matheson, but, you know, getting in Barkov's face. I know he's a big guy, or getting in Huberto's face. You know, making life hard for the other team and saying, hey, if you're going to touch our star players, we're going to touch yours right back. It was a brutal incident that, you know, I, I'm, uh, you know, I follow a lot of concussion people who have dealt with concussions, and it's serious, you know, and the biggest weapon that Pedersen has is his brain, you know what I mean? And and on the ice, he's just so smart, and that's why I think he gets those Gretzky comparisons, but you can't have him being dropped on his head too many times before, you know, he starts playing a passive 
game and he starts worrying about getting hit like that, right? So it's I think that's where you got to have the pushback and say, hey, Elias, you know, go out there and do the things that you do. We got your back. And I think um, one guy who's really stood out with me online, uh, who's uh, advocate of head injuries and being aware of them, is Daniel Carcillo. He's he's puts out a lot of great tweets and content. So if anyone out there doesn't follow him, I I do highly recommend yeah. him. Um, one other thing with uh, with the uh, with the team this year, uh, there do you think they are more equipped for that pushback? I know that's been a lot of talk about cushioning surrounding the younger core of the team with more NHL presence and a bit more sandpaper. Do you think they've done a good job with that? I think they've addressed the issues that they had last year, 100%. I mean, for all the heat that Furland's got, you know, over the last several, you know, 10 games or whatever, you know, that people, when he's on the ice, you know, you even saw last game with Wilson, right? When he's on the ice, he's not afraid to get in somebody's face. I mean, Wilson is a much larger human being than Furland is, but, you know, Wilson at the end of his shift wanted no part of that. Right, and I think you see that, you know, Jake Furtanen's going to learn from that. I think you have some other guys like, you know, Zach McCune, if he gets called up, you know, next year, he's going to, you know, have Furland as his wingman, you know, to kind of, you know, teach these guys how to play in the NHL and, yeah, obviously push back and be, you know, presence on the ice because if Furland's on the ice, you know somebody's not taking a run at any of the players. And if they do, if that's the case, then Furland's going to, you know, chomp at the bit to, to do it right back to them. So I definitely think they've addressed it. Um, Tyler Myers is actually a bit more physical than um, what I had uh, heard of, uh, a lot of the time, so that's nice to see. And, I mean, you got Jordy Ben there, who, uh, when Vertanen was cross-checked in the head, you know, got right in right in the middle of things. So, yes, I do think they've addressed that. I do think there's pushback, and I think that's just building the team culture and that, you know, guys are willing to have each other's back where in previous years you kind of, you just never saw it because you had only Eric and Branson, I mean, for a while, Derek Dorsett, and that was kind of it. You know, some guys could drop the mitts and, you know, throw the fist cuffs. But there was, you know, we were a bit of a soft team that was an easy, you know, kind of a punching bag. And whereas now I don't think teams come into our building or we go into theirs and think, oh, we're just going to run over the Canucks and, you know, take our liberties anymore. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I mean, I also think a couple years ago, the only other player I remember actually standing up for the Canucks was Ryan Miller. I remember Miller went after Mm -hmm. someone that one game and he won me over. I didn't like the Miller signing at first, but... Seeing him stick up for his teammates like that, I gained a lot of respect for him for that. And yeah, I thought it was oh, great. Yeah. Uh, transitioning. Yeah, that was Matt in... Martin going after Troy Stetcher there. And uh, yeah. I mean, that was a pretty heated game. There was the Daniel Steen Caudry incident, which, I mean, the player safety has shown no willingness to protect its superstar players. I got a bit of a Twitter, Twitter war the other night about that hit um, <laughs> with Austin Matthews getting clocked. But, uh, yeah, I definitely, Brian Miller was a huge part, and I think it's probably the most underrated signing that Jim Benning had. It gave Jacob Markstrom the chance to, you know, grow and develop in the Utica Comet system with Travis Green, I might add. And I think that year that we signed him, you know, he went on, they went into the Calder Cup finals, nearly won the whole thing because of Jacob Markstrom. And now you're seeing, you know, his progression as an NHL goaltender and as Sat Shaw, you know, and uh, Andrew Walker, you know, set on Eric last game is, you know, they believe he's an elite goalie, a top 10 goalie in the league, and you know, his numbers and the way he's played, you know, kind of shows that, you know, and and that's all because Ryan Miller was there to uh, be able to let him develop. I mean, I think that year Ryan Miller, or sorry, pardon me, Jacob Markstrom was actually put on waivers and uh, no team claimed him, so I mean, you're you're really crossing your fingers on that one with such a high-end draft prospect, but it ended up working out for the Canucks, and you know, it's a big contract year for Miller, or sorry, Markstrom, and uh, you know, it's it, it's exciting to have a starting goaltender who you can, you know, you're not afraid that he's going to let you know a soft goal in like he did for the last few years. Uh, well, you bring up a really good point with Markstrom's pending UFA. Uh, if you're in the general manager's seat, what do you do? Do you sign him to a long-term deal? Do you uh, put your chips in with Demko, who's looked good with the limited starts he's had this year? What would you do? I think you sign Markstrom. I was kind of against this uh, earlier in the summer, and uh, but I, I asked Sat, Sat Shaw, him and I, uh, go back and forth a little bit on Twitter, and uh, he just said, you know, like, address what you have to now with the contract and then, you know, go from there. I think it's you rather hold on to Markstrom, see where Demko's at, you know, get Demko signed in the next year as well, and then see which goal you want, and then eventually make a trade. I, don't, I, I think, you know, goalies will always be tradable. 
um, and that you do have to see me having Demko. He's looked good in the you know games that he's played, you know, in his career. But at the same time, I don't. You look at the Matt Murray situation, and then the Penguins giving up on you know Mark Andre Fleury. If they could take that back, who do you think they protect? I bet you they protect on, uh, Fleury there, and you know don't sign Matt or uh, let Matt Murray go to Vegas. And I think that you know that kind of closed a little bit of their cup window by letting a guy like uh, Fleury go. He's uh, you know you know, studded Hall of Famer in uh, Vegas now. Well, you know, that, he, he's been to the cup finals, and I think he's super underrated, actually, and underappreciated. Yeah, I totally agree with you on the flurry take, but that's another thing is the Canucks seem to be, or seem to put themselves in a bit of a tough uh, decision come the next expansion draft because they're probably going to have to choose between Markstrom and Demko. But I guess, you know, we'll cross that bridge when we get there. Um, yeah. You also brought up the Utica Comets. Uh, I'm guessing you've been following uh, their early season success. Who down there has kind of uh, really caught your eye as far as uh, Canucks well, prospects? I mean, obviously it's it's Colin. I mean, it's it's not Berchi, it's not Goldobin. Um, uh, it's definitely Colin and how he's kind of turned his game around in, you know, the matter of, uh, you know, a year, right? Everybody kind of, you know, was off the, the bandwagon, the hype train that uh, was Colin last year, and now all of a sudden they're coming out of the woodwork and saying what a great player Colin is. You know, and I'm not a guy who gave up on him. I'm just, you know, you know, takes different timelines for prospects to grow. He went from, you know, the WHL to the, uh, to the uh, pardon me, AHL. And I think a lot of the issues that Colin ha- had last year was, not that he was being played in the bottom six, but that the uh, Comets had no center prospects, right? The only center prospect at the time was Adam Gaudet, and he was playing with the big club because Brandon Sutter was hurt. I mean, he's sitting there playing with Carter Banks, and, you know, for all that Carter Banks is, the captain and all that stuff, he's not some sort of puck distributor and a guy who creates space for his teammates. So there's a lot of pressure on Lind, I think, at the time. And, you know, you look at the defense, you know, you got to be able to get pucks to the forwards. And the Comets D wasn't very good last year either. So it's been a whole, you know, 180 turnaround, not only for Lynn, but the whole entire Comets team. And uh, Trent Call seems to be coaching them really well. I mean, the team is pretty stacked. I think, you know, they could compete against the Senators, <laughs> to be honest. But, <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I agree with the Cole. There. I agree with Cole Lind. I think he's been uh, a great turnaround. And I've said this in the past about how hard it is for 20-year-old CHL vets to make the transition into the AHL in that first year and you go from being a king amongst boys to being a young man against men and I think that transition is really hard but Cole Lind has really put in the work and has made that jump this year. Another guy that we're all watching with bated breath and seems to be taking the right steps is Ole Olevi and what do you think is the uh, what would be kind of your typical way of managing Ole Olevi this year? What do you what would you see as being a great season for Olevi? I'll let him play in, in the minors, and, you know, if, if the Canucks, you know, are, you know, healthy, don't worry about it, you know. Let him continue to develop his game in the AHL. I don't think, I think if the team in Utica stays healthy, the team in Vancouver stays healthy, you know, the Comets are going to be, you know, primed in position to win a, you know, Calder Cup. Let's, let's, let's be honest about it. And if you levies in that environment, in a winning environment, playing top minutes, I think that's, that's all progression for him, right? Everybody's been off the U-Levy hype train, and there's always the math you could chuck, blah, blah, blah. But at the end of the day, he was drafted that high because he was a, a you know worth a top pick, right? He has great skating, great vision, and I think he's just going to continue to develop his game and feel more comfortable you know, with the injury history that he's had. He's put on some weight, and uh, you know, I, I, I wouldn't worry about U-Levy too much. I think he's going to be a big part of the team moving forward. Um, you know, and as like I said, as long as the team is healthy and they don't make too many, don't make any trades, you know, along that uh, left side, I think you know you just keep them there and then uh, talk about it. You know, at Christmas, see where he's at, see if you want to call him up. But at the end of the day, I want you know you Levy playing as many minutes, whether that's in the NHL or AHL, as possible. The other first rounder that's kind of polarizing in the Vancouver universe is Jake Furtanen. What do you see? With Jake Furtanen long-term with the Canucks, will he be a Canuck? Is he a trade asset? Is he a disappointment? What do you see as for Jake Furtanen? Who is he? Well, I'd like to address Canucks Nation and Canucks Twitter on Jake Furtanen. Jake Furtanen didn't decide to get picked sixth overall. You know, the Canucks decided to take Jake Furtanen sixth overall. So putting that, you know, pressure on him is not his fault. It's, it's Canucks fans. And the polarizing you know, fan base that we are. I don't think, I think Jake is a polarizing player that has a lot of skills, showed a lot of skills in the WHL. He's had some serious, uh, or, you know, I'd say serious uh, 
shoulder injuries at the start of his career, and I don't think the Canucks handled it very well. You know, by putting him right in the NHL and thinking he could be a big part of the team, I think they they did the same thing with McCann and then soured on him. Uh, as for his future, I think he's continued to show he's de- he's has the ability to develop to develop his game, and that's why he's playing in somewhat of a top six role. I would argue the numbers and the amount of minutes he's playing isn't necessarily top six, but that's because he doesn't get any power play and penalty kill time. Uh, I think moving forward, I think the Canucks are very happy with the progression of Jake, and they re-sign him to at least a three-year deal at the end of this uh, at the end of the season, and he continues to 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 grow with the Canucks. I don't think they have any inclination to to trade him. I don't think there's a player that's in the system right now that's going to replace him. I think McEwen, you know, he's a good prospect to have, but I don't think he's at quite at the level of Jake Bertan, and even though he's shown uh, a lot. You know, a lot more as a power forward, and I think that's another thing that we have to address. Is I don't think Jake is, you know, your prototypical, uh, prototypical power forward. You know, he hasn't shown that drive to the net. He's a one-shot type of type of player, like you saw in the game against, uh, um, pardon me, Washington there. And he, he has the ability to beat any goaltender. I think if he gets that open open ice, and it's about having a a creator to play with Jake Bertan, and and he's going to use his speed to 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 go down the wing. And I think he's going to be a good player. I think, you know, if the roles were reversed, um, you know, you'd pick Brock Fester 6th overall and Jake for 10 and 23rd overall or whatever the pick was there. So, I, you know, like I said, I don't think it's – I think we need to relax on the, oh, he's 6th overall and look at all these other players. It's not his fault he was picked that high. It's the, it, That's on the Canucks. I do agree with you about the kind of your not conventional power forward. I always find when I'm watching Bertanen is when uh, I'm watching him in full flight go down the wings and he's not – driving to the net or not kind of doing a little stick handle or deke or anything with all that kind of in mind what would be what is the ideal line for Jake Vertanen to be on on this team um at this moment I think he's perfect fit for Bo Horvat and I think you should try and develop some chemistry between them I mean if if he's not you know playing in the bottom six obviously you know I think uh you want him playing with a guy like Bo Horvat I kind of tweeted about this earlier and it's going to be a great opportunity for Jake to learn from a guy who's continued to work on his game and develop his game in his own in his own right I mean when Horvat was drafted they talked about you know how he was no more than a third line center and uh and his skating was you know pretty bad and you know the next season Bo Horvat worked his ass off and became one of the better you know, best skaters on our team. So I think having Bo Horvat, having him under his wing and being able to use Horvat's leadership, you're going to get uh, the best out of Jake because if he screws up or he doesn't make a pass here, this, that, and Bo Horvat's going to be able to talk to him on the bench and discuss with him what he thinks he should have done. And it's going to be a good opportunity, like I said, for Jake to learn from uh, such a big leader in the dressing room, obviously our captain. And I think that's the best role. Um, uh, obviously, there's the you know the Sutter factor, and Brandon Sutter and Jake Bertanen have never had chemistry together. They're two straight line guys who like to skate, shoot you know, and shoot the puck off the wing. So I don't think that really works out. Um, but I would like to see at some point the season is Adam Gaudet getting a chance with uh, Bertanen. I think those guys could develop some chemistry and kind of you know have some fun out there on the ice. Um, another player that's been talked about quite a bit uh, on the trade rumors and i have to give you credit ray you were actually one of the first guys i saw tweet this out and then obviously it kind of hit national attention and bob mckenzie mentioned it uh and that's troy stetcher and there's a lot of scuttlebutt about stetcher potentially getting moved uh do you think uh what do you think the return on a stetcher move could potentially be and do you think that's because the canucks maybe want to expedite you levy into the nhl quicker um i don't think they want to expedite you levy into the nhl quicker um as uh, you, you have Stetcher on the right side, but you know if they wanted to do that, I guess Ben could play the right side, and that would—that's already a pairing I've discussed, uh, you know, quite a bit. Um, I don't think the Canucks are in a position that they want to trade, you know, uh, Stetcher right away. I've kind of mentioned it, and I've kind of talked about it a little bit on Twitter. I just said he's, you know, a guy that teams are going to, you know, express interest in. I think, you know, from whatever people have said, he's not a top four defenseman. I think. He is a top four defenseman. I think his his drive and his effort and what he does defensively is, you know, underrated as hell. Um, a potential return, I think that that varies because you know how does a team that's trading for him assess what the Canucks' volume is at? Because right now he's only playing 11 minutes, you know, and <clears throat> part of me is in a bottom six role that doesn't have any power play time and doesn't have any PK time. So a team 
you know, evaluating what their value of Troy Stetcher is, is going to, you know, they're going to lowball, you know, uh, Stetcher. And I think that you're not going to get the piece that you could if you had him in a top four role um, and maybe a third round draft pick. I know that seems really low, but at the same time, you know, the Canucks, you know, also have to look at what, you know, their value is of, of Troy Stetcher. And if they're, they're willing to make that move, I don't think they are. I don't think they have any reason that they want to trade Stetcher. I just think, you know, at this point, you have a healthy blue line and that that's the position that Stetcher's in. What I don't want to see is them trading Stetcher and, uh, in re-signing Tanev. I think that's a big mistake for, uh, on the Canucks and Jim Benning's part. I, I think if you move Tanev, uh, or you try to move on Tanev in the off season, you let him walk to free agency and, uh, you know, you try to offer him a contract. But what I've thought about is, is by the draft is uh, next season is that they you know package Troy Stetcher up in a trade to upgrade the top six. I think that's the the move that Jim Benning makes personally. I think another thing with Troy Stetcher is we were used to him having to be a number two or three defenseman on the team a lot of the times last year, and this year he's a number five defenseman. And I think that's right now as a Canucks fan, it's nice to see that sort of depth when you look down and your third pairing is Stetcher and Ben. Um, but I also wanted to talk about the guy who I. I think everyone in Vancouver now believes is our number one defenseman, Quinn Hughes. I've just every game it seems there's just something I've been drooling over with this kid. What has Quinn Hughes shown to you, or what what are your first thoughts of Quinn Hughes ten games or so into this season? Well, he's he's able to take over the game with his skating. Like he he doesn't and he doesn't get hit. You know, like people want to hit him and he's gone. You know, like there's no. There's no touching the kid, and uh, I wanted to tweet this out, but I wasn't sure how to word it. You know, remember how like good Elias Pettersson was last year, and he was he was phenomenal. Well, I think at this point where Quinn Hughes is at, he's actually better than where Elias Pettersson was at. So you can take that with uh, however you like. But I think Quinn Hughes is just he he's just a dominant player, and he's going to be able to take over games with his skating. Um, one thing that's impressed me the most is his shot. I actually didn't know his shot was that good. And he had that hard of a shot, and his ability to get the puck to the net, you know, it's been like, you know, you remember back in the days, you know, we we bully uh, Edler a little bit with shooting in the shin pads, but it was the same thing with Salo. Like he, they they couldn't get the shot through, and I don't think I've seen a defenseman on the Canucks, you know, that has the, the ability to not only read the ice but be able to get his shot through and get it off quick, right? And that's just going to open up more space. Like let's talk about the power play a little bit is now that Quinn Hughes can rip the puck, you know, it's going to open up space for Pedersen to be able to shoot the puck and Besser to shoot the puck. So whatever Newell Brown, you know, switched uh, on that, I think it, it's going gonna, it's gonna to benefit the team. And, uh, yeah, I didn't, I didn't have any um, – sorry, let me reword this. I didn't think Quinn Hughes would uh, have any issues stepping into the NHL. And uh, obviously he's showing that. We'll see at the end of the season where his fitness levels are at and uh, if he can handle the travel schedule and uh, – and, you know, simply, you know, because Pedersen kind of tailed off at the end there. Uh, so we'll see what happens with Hughes and uh, go from there. Yeah, I think it's a great point that you bring up uh, about Pedersen, comparing Pedersen's rookie year to Hughes's rookie year. And obviously, statistically, Pedersen was phenomenal for his first 30 games or so. But I think yeah. what you were trying to say, and I totally agree with you, is that Hughes is making a greater impact on the team yeah. and he's contributing more to actual wins for the Canucks than what Pedersen did last year. 100%. Yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, it's like I said, Hughes has been unbelievable this year. Like Pete said, I, I can't agree with either one of your guys' takes more. Uh, for me, he's been probably the best player as, as the skaters go, in my opinion, I think he's been the best player uh, the Canucks have so far this year. Do you think this is a playoff team? Uh, I, I would say it is. I mean, they they showed a compete level that I haven't seen in years against the, you know, not the defending cup champs, but, you know, the Washington Capitals. Uh, I think they've handled their business when it comes to the weaker teams in the NHL. Uh, I think the West, you know, or sorry, the Pacific Division is quite wide open. And... Um, I think they can get in there, and I think they can be possibly a top seed. It depends, like I said. Uh, I mean, injuries will play a massive factor in how you know far this team goes this season, um, and it's about uh, what the the plans are for come come to the trade deadline. Because if they're in a position at the trade deadline, you'd think that Jim Benning might want to boost his team, you know, 
Uh, I know we traded a first-round pick for uh, JT Miller, but, you know, a guy like Taylor Hall, you know, is, is, is a curious name that you're going to hear a lot of trade rumors in. And, I mean, if you have the opportunity to get Taylor Hall at the deadline, do you do it, right? Like, if New Jersey is out of a playoff spot, there's no way that they're not listening to calls on Taylor Hall. You know, I would, I would love to see Taylor Hall versus, you know, old team in the playoffs. You know, Edmonton, right? Can you imagine that? Pedersen, you know, along uh, alongside uh, Taylor Hall and Brock Besser? That, that'd be something stupid, you know? So I think that'd be a name that interests me uh, a little bit. I don't know what the asking price would probably be fairly high. Uh, I don't know if I'd be willing to trade a pod Colson, but if, you know, you locked up Taylor Hall long term, you know, would you would you be willing to part with Pod Colson or, or Demko as well? You know, something like that. Uh, I would lo- I definitely look at it. Um, as I said, I think I, I kind of mentioned it, you know, in a tweet last night is uh, eventually the Canucks are going to have enough money to be able to uh, to spend on a, you know, Panarin type level talent. And I think Jim Benning is definitely looking to continue to upgrade his top six. I think you have to w- worry about the financials long term. But, you know, I think if Taylor Hall is definitely on the block, you can get I can guarantee you Jim Benning is going to be picking up his phone and, you know, trying to be trader Jim. Yeah, and one other thing with the Devils is uh, if they're playing like they currently are, they also traded a lot of picks to get P.K. Subban. So they are a little bit depleted in those second and third rounds there over the next couple of years. Um, So you have the Canucks making the playoffs. Do you have any other kind of predictions or just things that you think are going to happen this year? Any kind of players that are going to break out or just kind of some, what what are your thoughts for the season here? What what else is going to happen? Uh, I think Jake Furtanen hits 20 goals. Uh, I, I, I think he has the potential, and as long as he's deployed properly, I think he's, he's going to do it. Um, I already talked about this a little bit at the start of the year. You know, I, if, if the Canucks make the playoffs, I think you know, Pedersen is in the heart conversation and potentially wins it. Uh, I think that's just a guarantee. I, I, I look at the numbers right now on how Quinn, Quinn Hughes performing. I think you know, he'll be definitely in the conversation uh, for the Calder Calder Trophy, I don't think it. I think it's going to be a tight race, but I don't think it's going to be uh, like Elias Pettersson kind of taking it away like he did with the amount of votes. I think it's going to be a tight race, and I think, you know, if Jacob Markstrom can keep, you know, his level of play up, I don't think he's, you know, other than the one game there, I don't think uh, Vesna conversation is out of the question either. I mean, he got the one vote last year, and. Um, the Canucks potentially winning the division. I think that, you know, these are some pretty bold takes, but, you know, like I said, it kind of relies on a healthy team, but I don't think these are things that are out of the question with the way the team has looked. Other than for, for prediction-wise, that'd probably be it for me. Those are pretty good. I could live with uh, any of those or preferably all of those. Uh, Ray, uh, yeah. just last kind of thoughts here. Thanks for coming on the show. If you have anything else you want to say where people can – find your content uh, as well uh, just have at her uh yeah if you want to look at my content i'm obviously on twitter at uh at raymond underscore hat and i tweet quite a bit sometimes i tweet too much um i currently shut down my podcast for a little bit till i get things sorted out with that um but yeah just uh send me some dms and we'll we'll chat some canucks and uh if anybody wants to have me on their podcast i mean i'm totally free and i love to talk to canucks uh, I think it's going to be an exciting, exciting year, and I'm just excited to, to to see the journey of this new era, this new core, and uh, that's about it. Yeah, I agree, man. Year 50, it feels different. Uh, we'd love to have you back on here anytime, Ray. Thanks for joining us, and uh, take care over on the island there. Yeah, thanks to you as well. We'll take care, and thank you guys for having me. Anytime, man. Thank you. All right, thanks. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks again to Ray for uh, taking the time to talk to us. Uh, really appreciated that. So, Pete, let's jump into the three games that were for the week that was. Uh, first off, let's do a quick recap of the Detroit game. Uh, what were your thoughts uh, of the Detroit game? It was a great never quit in another five-goal period, which we're starting to see more of. This is the start of the Tim Schaller scoring spree as well that's funny i was literally gonna mention that myself (laughs) um i thought it was just it was a really interesting game overall the canucks they a slow start which again you know had me a little worried but they were never really playing poorly and they came to life and that third period just absolutely erupted led by captain bow there and 
that was the game as well where I thought Bo had the hat trick the first time around, but then eventually get the hat trick on the empty netter. Uh, that was great to see. The really cool clip with him uh, with all his family there as well uh, outside the game, I guess, uh, coming down from southern Ontario. I thought that was really cool to do in front of everyone and a great way to end the road trip. Yeah, I thought the Canucks uh, obviously were a little bit sloppy through the first two periods. I think people were you know, probably clinching the couch cushions a little bit, heading into the third down two goals, and then the power play got them back into it. They had the two power play goals back-to-back in the third, uh, which tied the game up, and then the Canucks just took over from there. That third goal, which I thought was Bo's goal as well, got credited to Jake Vertanen. Tim Schaller, like you said, got his first goal of the year, as did Jake, and then Bo capped it off with an empty netter, got his first career hat-trick in front of his family, and yeah, another solid win for the for the Canucks. Indeed. Uh, should we move over to Washington? Let's do it. So, nice segue from Detroit into Washington was with that third period. What I call this is the one-second curse. In the Detroit game, there was one second left. Tyler Bertuzzi took a penalty, which led to the first Bo Horvat goal and led to the charge. In the Washington game, the Caps scored with one second left, and that led to the three-goal three third period and then uh, the eventual shootout win. I was at this game uh, against Washington. It was a lot of fun. And I, I don't know, even though we, we lost and we blew it, it happened so quickly, and it was kind of weird, some of the goals. that When Michael Kempney gets two goals against you, it, it's, it's a weird third period. It, it was, I don't know, I, I mean... We, we still got a point. We managed our loss. Washington's one of the top teams in the league right now. Uh, I, it, it sucks that we blew that. We could have had the two points, but it, it was just kind of weird how it all happened, I thought. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, Schaller's second two-goal game in his Canuck career. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, I, I thought it was a, over. Like, it started off the Canucks were playing great. They gave up the first goal, but after that, they responded quickly with two goals, and then they took a three or sorry a four goal lead and then they gave up that late back breaking goal in the second period and i believe washington was still on the power play no they weren't uh, they actually ended up scoring a shorthanded goal to start the third which i think really hurt the canucks uh, my biggest takeaway from this game was yeah obviously it was disappointing that we uh, gave up uh, we had that third period collapse and washington came back but i honestly thought markstrom let in a couple of soft goals overall it wasn't Markstrom's best game. There was a couple of goals I definitely thought he should have had. But I wasn't too worried about it. We still ended up getting a point, which I think most people heading into the game, before we saw how the game was playing out for the first and second period, would have been more than happy with the Canucks coming away from that game with a point. And we got to see Patterson with the sick move in the shootout. We did. That was, that was awesome. So it was disappointing in some levels, but... You know, take the point, and that leads us into the game last night where there were so many good things, and it looks like the Canucks finally, after what happened with Washington and New York, have realized that we got to keep the pedal to the metal here. There are so many similarities between Washington and, and Florida. 5-1 lead early, Florida scores to make it 5-2 in the second, and then the Canucks scored two more. It also is the third game in a row with a goal for Jake Vertanen and the third game in a row with goal for Tim Schaller. So for me, what I've taken away out of this, and also the the coolest thing I think from last night was that every forward had a point. And for a guy who's been saying, hey, we need more scoring depth, we need more scoring depth, the Canucks are, are doing that right now. And that was one of my biggest takeaways, was just how balanced it was and how guys like Brandon Sutter and uh, Michael Furland even were just making nice plays. Yeah, Sutter and Furland had a couple of sick passes out there. The other thing surprising, to, well, I shouldn't say surprising, but the other bright spot of the game last night, and trust me, there was a ton of bright spots, all seven goals were even strength goals. There was no power play goals whatsoever. There were only four penalties in the game, which is kind of surprising when you consider uh, all the calls for headhunting with uh, with the Canucks and the Panthers before. Yeah, again, it was an unbelievably entertaining game. You could have watched the first period and walked away and you know been satisfied with what you saw. I thought the Canucks definitely, like you said, they, they kind of bunkered down and they prevented... Florida from ever getting back you know they kept their their foot on the gas pedal and Florida there was no way Florida was getting back Florida did the old uh, pull the goalie put the goalie back in trick as well I know it was supposed to be Bobrovsky's day off and they put him in I think it was after the third goal it was after the third goal and then they I think to start the third period they put the other goalie back in 
Yeah, it was. Uh, they did. They did the old uh, Montembeau. Montembeau. I don't really know much about him. He had no. a rough night. Demko had a great night. I thought. I thought he played pretty solid in there. Yeah. And it was nice to see him get a start back in there as well, and kind of keep his momentum going. And uh, his he seems to be playing really well. And I mean that whole game just in general was was fantastic. The Canucks now lead the league in goals at home. They're averaging five goals a game at home. They also have, as of this moment, the best goal differential in the league at plus 15. So there's a lot of things to really like about where the Canucks are finding goals right now. Yeah, uh, number two with goal differential is the Colorado Avalanche with plus 14, and I believe number three is the Boston Bruins with, with plus 13. So the Canucks, like you said, for me, the best thing so far to start the year, we're only 11 games in, it's the balanced scoring. Right now, the Canucks have unbelievable balanced scoring all throughout their lineup. They have 14 players with four points or more already to start the year the one guy who i'm actually a little surprised only has three points to start the year is uh tyler myers he's only got three assists to start the year uh troy stetcher has two jordy ben has two and then mott only six game played has one and adam Gaudet three games has one louis erickson two games with nothing but every other player uh, louis erickson has an assist did he? Okay. Well, they must have credited it a little later because, yeah, it wasn't on here. But anyways, that's that's besides the point. So pretty much every player then has a point on the team. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, they all do. Every Everyone who's skated for the Canucks has a point this year, which is great to see. Uh, Hughes has been a little cooler in the last couple of games. Uh, but even that, Ed, Alex Edler has nine points in 11 games. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. And anyone who's bemoaning about uh, Pedersen and his lack of scoring, take a look. The guy's got 14 points in 11 games. And that top line, 14 for PD, you got 13 for Miller, and 10 for Brock. That's a legit first line. And when now all of a sudden you're getting secondary scoring from all these other guys, it really helps. And I don't think we can sustain this kind of offense at all. But I think it really is worth noting just, one, what an impact JT Miller has had on this team. It's it's. I knew he was going to be good, but I wasn't quite expecting this. But also, two, just... Some of these guys, uh, how all of a sudden they're really stepping up too. Jake Vertanen is finding his touch. This Tim Schaller thing is is amazing. I mean, who knows how that'll go for? But we it, it seems every week we're on a different player's hype train. I even think Michael Ferlin this last week has been fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I actually thought Ferlin had a good game against Washington, yeah, and then last night was definitely his best game of the year for as a Canuck. Well, Ferlin was given the pushback against Tom Wilson, and I really like to see that as well. Yeah, uh, and the other thing, going back to Petey, uh, he's got 14 points in 11 games, 3 goals, 11 assists, and I believe last night broke the streak. All of his assists, all of his assists except for one of them from last night, he had 3, were primary assists. So of his 11 assists, 10 of them are the primary assist, and one was a secondary assist. Yeah, he's still making things happen, and I think uh, that, that goal he's got in the shootout against Washington, that was the first kind of real dangly magic that we've seen from him but he's making a lot of smart plays out there and the other thing to consider is he's getting teams top units against him right now and he's playing he's he, i found he's doing a lot of what the sedines would do they he'd play with his back to the play facing the boards and you do that kind of cycle thing and that's that's just that's actually a really hard way to play and we saw the twins do that for years and that's something that it, it may not be the flashiest move but it's it's an effective move and it's getting things done and you look at his line mates right now miller and besser and i know Pedersen's not on the ice for all of their goals, but they're combined for 10 goals already through 11 games. And that's a large part to do with what PD's doing. He's be- Right now, he's becoming a setup man. Three goals and 11 helpers. I mean, he's on pace for a 90-plus season right now. Yeah, I mean, I think most Canuck fans, all we care about are the wins and getting those two points. And whoever's getting the points, as long as the team's winning, I don't really care. Right now, funny fact, and again, we're only 11 games in, Tim Schaller is tied for third on the team in goals with Brock Besser with four. Bo Horvat sits in second place with five. And JT Miller sits in first with six. Tim Schaller is third, tied for third in goals on the team after 11 games. <laughs> Who would have thought that? Maybe Thomas Drance would have thought that, but uh, that or Thatcher Demko. But it's, it's, uh, it is kind of interesting just to see where all this balanced attack is coming from and also the time on ice is starting to even out a little bit more as well we're starting to see the start of the year ben and stetcher weren't getting as much ice time that's crept up a couple minutes on both sides as well and uh just kind of a more balanced attack uh from everyone even 
guys at the bottom that, that are playing on the fourth line are averaging about 11 minutes a game right now, which is nice to see. And again, it, it comes down to matchups. And I know, uh, I think it was the Washington game again, they were using that fourth line a lot more, but it seems that everyone has a role. And the thing that I really like is when, I think it was Schaller, it was Schaller's goal. Yeah, when he scored last night and they showed the shot of the bench, they were just so happy for the guy. And I think they, they all right now, there's a collective pressure on the team going into the season and they haven't had a lot of things go right for a while and now you're starting to see it you're starting to see the weight getting lifted a bit off of brandon sutter and a weight getting lifted a bit off of tim schaller and when you're not under that kind of scrutiny you play looser and you know even a shout out to louis erickson he has not been in the spotlight despite getting scratched nine games he hasn't said anything he's been a trooper and from all accounts he's been a team player but there just seems to be this mentality right now that we're here as a team and we're going to win and we have a collective goal and it feels like there's a real chemistry with this team right now that I haven't seen for a while. I'm, I'm really excited uh, from what I've seen so far. Yeah, I think the one thing I have to say about this version of the Canucks is they are the most entertaining Canuck team I've watched in probably the last four or five years. Oh, yeah, without a doubt. And that's saying something because we had the Sedins on there for a while. I mean, this is... This is it was the Sedins and not a lot of help around them for a long time. PD obviously changed the whole kind of verbiage and nature of this team. And I don't think we would have gone out and brought in guys like Tyler Myers and JT Miller if he hasn't done what he's done. But this team just is deeper. And you look down the, the pipes towards the farm as well. If things happen, there are guys who can get called up now who are effective. We can call up Adam Gaudet. We can call up. Ashton Sautner. Goddard did get called back up. No, I know. That's yeah. what I mean, though, is you can yeah. call him up. He's the first guy to get called up. And you still have guys like Sven Berici and Reed Boucher mm-hmm. and Nikolai Goldobin and Cole Lynn down there. There's, And that's not even getting into the guys. Zach like McEwen. Bailey and Perron. There's a lot of depth right now to this team. And now this is something, again, that we haven't had for a long time. When you're getting guys playing in the lineup, you're like, who the heck are these? This team is right now in a very good situation with the way that they're playing right now, and I, I hope they can continue it, but if it's sustainable, they're they're set up with the farm to even acquire further assets, like Ray alluded to in our interview as well. And they also have these real blue chip prospects that are still coming up, not even playing in the comments. So we're in a we're in a good position right now. It's it's finally a lot of fun to be a Canucks fan again. Yeah, I totally agree. The one thing I am just kind of forecasting and looking forward is the Canucks schedule is going to get a little bit tough heading into November. They've got a lot of games where they're playing every other night. Uh, So they play Wednesday against the Kings, start of a three-game road trip. They have Thursday off, then they have back-to-back games against Anaheim on Friday, San Jose on Saturday. They have two nights off. So they have the Sunday, the Monday off, and then Tuesday the 5th they play St. Louis. Then they have a day off. Then they have back-to-back again against Chicago and Winnipeg on the Thursday, Friday. They have one day off, Jersey, one day off, Nashville, one day off, Dallas, one day off, Colorado. Yeah, and the Chicago-Winnipeg is a back-to-back on the road as well. This is, uh, it's, it's going to be a good test. This That's what, like 10 games you just rattled off there. So that by that point, we're at the quarter mark. So if this is the high water mark of the team and... That we'll have to see what the next 10 games can bring. If they're still, after 20 games, if they're holding this, if they can go at a 14-6-2 record with that sort of schedule, and I think we'll really know what this team is. I, I agree, though. I think this is a, it's a tough schedule. It's a lot of one-on, one-off kind of things here, and I think uh, I think it's going to be... Even this California trip, This is the California teams aren't playing well, but this is, now looking at it, this is something where Canucks fans say, okay, we should be coming away with four out of six points on this California road trip. Well, if Anaheim's putting out that good Branson Delzato pairing as a top four, oh, man. then the Canucks should definitely get two points on Friday night against Anaheim. But we know how it always goes as Canucks fans saying, oh, we should definitely win yes. this game. That, that doesn't happen. But I think looking in San Jose's being cold, uh, Anaheim and L.A., I think a lot of people picked as the worst two teams in the conference. If the Canucks can go in there, not play soft and, and keep keep their kind of pedal to the metal there it's i think this is when they should come away with four or five points without getting too optimistic san jose is always a tough place to play i don't care how poor a start they've had that's always a tough game yeah they're a better team than what they've been playing and even the schedule as far as teams go like there isn't there's a few tough teams in november but 
overall, I don't think the the opponents they're playing are super tough. Nashville obviously is a good team. They, they have their first matchup against Colorado. They actually play Nashville twice. Mm-hmm. Uh, Washington again, Philly again, Pittsburgh again. And then they've got Dallas, they got Jersey, they got Chicago, Winnipeg, St. Louis, who just lost Tarasenko, the three California teams this week. Um, and then they end the month on Ed- with Edmonton. So I think, you know, looking at this, they could, I think theoretically, they could win eight or ten games in the month of November. But for me, what I was alluding to with that schedule of playing every other night, when you got guys on your team like Tanev and Edler, who are very injury prone, this is when guys get injured, the Canucks yeah. have been very fortunate to start the year. Yes. They've had a lot of days off in between games. Like they didn't, they played Friday and then they had Saturday, Sunday off, and then they got to play Monday. Um, so this is where I'm a little bit worried that there's a bit of a grind coming up now with games every other night. And I'm hoping, knock on wood, that the Canucks can stay healthy. Yeah, this is uh, this is true. We have I know I've said this earlier, but we're 11 games in and we've had the same six defensemen now for all six games. That's amazing. That's not sustainable either, especially with some of the bodies that we have out there. And I think things will happen. We've seen a little bit of tinkering on the fourth lines only with with Tyler Mott being out. But this is, again, where the depth comes in. I I think what's also intriguing just is is how much parity is in the league right now. I'm still trying to figure out who's the tougher teams on this month. When I'm looking and be like, oh, Winnipeg. Yeah, maybe we could take Winnipeg. And then it's Edmonton. It's like, oh, Edmonton, that could be tough. Like, it's kind of, I'm still trying to figure out who is actually are the the tough games right now, and I think a lot of teams are figuring that out. I think it's going to be uh, a really interesting month in November moving forward here. But we can kind of almost look back now with we got the one more game tomorrow and look back on this October and say this has been a successful October. Yeah, it absolutely has. Um, so after these first eleven games, what has impressed you most about this team so far? Uh, that's the depth for again the scoring depth. I think the goals coming from guys that. I would never have thought, and at, to that to a certain level. Yeah, for me, it's it's the balanced scoring. Like this team has been able to put the puck in the net over four lines. Yeah, uh, I'd have to go back past the Detroit game, but I believe the Canucks have had a goal from their fourth line in four of the last five games. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's it, it's it, what is really well. I guess we have a clear fourth line, but it's even just that third line. They, you know, I, I was never really too sold on the this top nine thing, but. With the way lines are getting shuffled around with, you know, having lines with Sutter, Pearson, and, and Levo some games being productive. It's it's great to see. The other thing about this team is they're fast. Yes. They're a fast team. And it's not just the top line, but some of these guys, we don't give them credit for how good skaters they really are. Josh Levo's a great skater. Uh, again, Jake Furtan, and we all know he's a great skater. Furlan's a good skater. Furlan is. Brandon Sutter is. And that makes it tough for teams to play. When you have a, a solid back end like the Canucks, you're getting solid goaltending, and you have speed up front right now. It's just, again, where it's, it's, it's only 11 games. But from what we've seen so far, this is a much more balanced team than any other team we've had in recent memory. Yeah, I think the other thing... Uh along with the skating is just the, the, this team is very hard on the forecheck like JT yeah. Miller the way he gets in on the forecheck and is able to just muscle guys off the puck and then make a play behind the net to an open winger out front or a defenseman uh Levo does it you're seeing Pearson do it Horvat has always been a bull on the ice and that's something we haven't really seen uh yeah again it's only 11 games I'm sure <laughs> we're all on a high at the moment Pretty interesting. Episode 11, 11 games in. You know, we're trying to crank it up to 11 for all you guys out there. Um, But, yeah, we don't want to get too over the moon with the team right now. But it's hard to say. It's hard not to be a little bit hyped. Well, and it's just even even the casual fans in the city that I know are kind of uh, that bandwagon is starting to fill up again. It's like. Well, I hear the Canucks are good again. I say, oh, hey, welcome back. Nice nice to see you. Maybe we can uh, start hearing the volume on for games now at more of the bars out there. Oof. I think you've got a little rant about that a little later, uh, don't stay, you? Stay tuned for the free pour. Uh, yeah, is there anything else you want to touch on? Just how good is JT Miller, man? He oh, is, he is uh, I, I, I've always liked JT Miller, but... What he's done for this team uh, is incredible. He's We basically acquired uh, a top-line forward. Yeah, and I was definitely critical of the Canucks giving up the first-round pick. And me for too. Me, it wasn't necessarily that we gave up a first-round pick to get him. My logic was behind it was 
you had a team like Tampa who was in a bit of a cap issue, had cap issues, and you would think we'd be able to get Miller for a bit of a discount, and we got market value for Miller. So I'm not saying JT Miller isn't worth a first and the third. I just was hoping that the Canucks could have taken advantage of Tampa's cap constraints and got a bit better of a deal with Miller. But hey, you know, so far, 11 games in, I'm more than happy with giving up the first-round pick. JT Miller has been absolutely amazing for the Canucks, and yeah, he's probably been our best forward. Um, yeah, I'd say he probably has been, and that's that's saying something right there. Uh, all right, well, yeah, let's wrap this segment up and get into the free pour. Let's do it. All right, it's time for us to rant and rave a little bit here. Doug, guys, you've already got some. Uh, well, that's a little that's a little dark to be Scotch, eh? Yeah, we're. Uh, I went with a bourbon for us today, so uh, we're drinking uh, Jefferson's Reserve, small batch bourbon. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of this stuff. Uh, yeah, this stuff's nice, man. I, I enjoy it. I've been being on a bit of a bourbon kick myself lately. I had some Buffalo Trace out the other night. That's some good stuff. Nice. Um, so, anyways, I'm gonna start this off here, and as I alluded to earlier, alluded—that's that's the word I was looking for. What what kind of kills me? I, I travel around a lot, and I, I like to go to other sports cities in North America, and it is generally pretty easy to have them turn the sound on for the game, or you don't even have to say turn the sound on. They they have the sound on. And it's a little better right now, I've noticed, in Vancouver. There's a few places doing it, but if you're going to show a Canucks game, let's put the sound on in the bar, people. If, if, this, if you are a sports bar, we want that. We don't want to hear your rock and roll, freaking, I don't know, your glitchy hip-hop stuff. We want to hear the sound on for the games. You can turn it off for the intermissions and stuff. I, I don't care about that. But come on, people, put the sound on. Let's be a hockey town. I, I know Montreal's different, but you go to Montreal... It's it's on everywhere. You go to Nashville, it's on everywhere. And like, come on, let's reclaim ourselves as a hockey town. Let's uh, the atmosphere in Rogers seems to be better this year. I just want us to have more sports bars and not have to ask to put the sound on, or even worse, to put the TVs on to the Canucks game. The amount of times you and I want to meet up to go to a game, and our biggest discussion and our biggest contention about where we're going to go is who puts it on. Exactly, who puts the sound on? Yeah, uh, you're absolutely right, Pete. Um, I'm going to go on a little bit of a different road, and it's something that uh, I'm actually very shocked. Well, I shouldn't say I'm shocked. I'm glad that it's happening. It should have happened years and years ago. Um, But if any of you have been following this uh, recent bill that passed down in California, where the California governor passed a bill where student athletes going to colleges in the NCAA will now be allowed to make money off their namesake and their images. So for instance, they can take photos and actually sell the photos to fans or they can make money on their jerseys. It's been unbelievable. And the monopoly the NCAA has had taken advantage of these student athletes for years and years and years. We're talking like a multi-billion dollar industry that has literally just been sucking the lifeblood out of these kids. I'm so glad California was the first state to do it. And then today, the NCAA said that, because again, they don't really have a choice, but the NCAA said that, you know, they are going to have, they're going to have to figure all the ins and outs of it, but they're going to allow or work with this new law that California just passed uh, for student athletes to make a little bit of profit off themselves. So the legislation isn't going to take place until 2023. And any college that makes more than $10 million in media. Yeah, California colleges that make more than $10 million in media rights revenue each year will be... The athletes that go to those colleges will be allowed to make money off their jersey sales, make money off their photos and stuff like that. So it's a great, great thing to see. Is that just in California? For now, it's just in California, but you bet your ass all the other states are going to follow because all the athletes are going to go to schools in California. Yeah, Trojans and Spartans and Bruins, look out. Yeah. Episode 11 is in the books, just like Marc Messier. How'd it go for you, Doug? Uh, went really good. Uh, thanks again to Ray Hat for joining us. Uh, give that guy a follow. I'm pretty sure you probably already are, but if you're not, 
It's at Raymond underscore hat with two T's. We should probably plug ourselves a, a little bit as well. You can find us at Canucks Speak on Twitter. Uh, and we've had a lot of people, well, a lot of friends of ours say, hey, we, we want to know what you guys play the outro music. I'll just, just shoot us a message. We'll, we'll tell you. We'll give you this one for free. This is some Ultramagnetic MCs. Uh, give the drummer some. This is an awesome old track, man. I, I just love this track. And yeah, like Pete said, you know, sh- give us a shot on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Doug Venn with two N's. I'm at Pete underscore gas, just like the wrestler. And uh, that pretty much wraps it up for episode 11. Thanks for listening. Let's go to California. California.